This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence and give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. everybody welcome to the true crime news i'm morgan rector joined by michelle gower as my co-host and going right into it my first story of the week uh is an illustration of how if you're going to choose a dog to guard your stuff or if you're just kind of hoping that it will you have to choose wisely because not all breeds are good at it some are a little too friendly to guard your stuff and there's this, this episode this, uh, sorry, this story has the headline, Dog Detects Thief, Does Not Deter Thief. Uh, friendly Pooch Accepts a Belly Rub Instead of San Diego Police. Uh, sorry, Friendly Pooch Accepts a Belly Rub. They didn't, they didn't add the punctuation correctly there. So a San Diego dog is excellent at detecting burglars. The next step could use a little work. As NBC San Diego reports, Police released an unusual surveillance video of a burglar taking an electric bike from a homeowner's garage. In a rather peculiar turn of events, as the suspect was about to make his escape, he paused to pet the household dog who had entered the garage, the city's police department wrote. You're so cool, the man can be heard telling the friendly golden retriever. Golden retrievers are not known for their house guarding abilities they're not they're not security dogs they don't the, the police uh don't use them they are used as uh guide dogs i think they're good for that because they're, they're kind of similar to labradors but no they're not too, they're not too aggressive uh in fact he actually walked the bike back into the garage and put down the kickstand to cuddle with the dog you're the coolest dog I've ever known. I love you, too. You're a sweetheart. He gives the pooch a belly rub and accepts its kisses before leaving. The thief also appeared to offer up some advice to the homeowners, suggesting they not have your garage open. The bike is valued at about $1,300. I bike, absolutely believe this. Do you have a dog or just a cat? I have two cats now, but when I was a teenager, my parents actually bred AKC Goldens, and they are not the smartest. They are sweet, and they have big hearts, and they are loyal. Yeah. They are not the most intelligent breed. And they're, yeah, they're good with kids, but probably not good at protecting kids. No. (laughs) Uh, They say, yeah, German shepherds are good for guarding your house. 
uh, Rottweilers are, though the only thing is like they're so hostile to just strangers that every time someone they don't know comes to the house, you have to do the whole thing where you hold their leash and let them smell the person's hand, hopefully without biting it. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's that's a lesson learned there. Okay, what's your first story of the week? It's a lot more depressing than that. This is oh, about sure. child abuse and endangerment. Oh, there we go. My I, I I chose a lot of morbid ones. Unfortunately, there's just not a lot of good things happening here right now. So the first story I have, it takes place not far from me in West Virginia. Donald Ray Lance and Jean K. Whitefeather are in police custody after two children were allegedly found locked in a shed in Sissonville, West Virginia. Deputy responded to a call about 5.45 p.m. local time last Monday afternoon. The caller saw a man open a shed, speak to some miners who were inside, and then lock the shed behind him. The deputies had to force entry into the barn where they located a juvenile male and female locked inside a 20 by 14 foot room. The deputies reported that the captive children had no access to running water, no functioning bathroom facilities, and there was no adequate hygienic care, food, windows, or anything in the shed. It was empty. The two children, a 16-year-old girl and a 14-year-old boy, which was her brother, informed the deputies that they had no means to exit the shed. This was a common occurrence for the siblings. She even explained that her and her brother were given food at 6 a.m. They were locked in the room until authorities arrived. When the authorities even got to the, the house, they witnessed another minor in the main house by themselves. The uh, deputy said, I observed a small child through the window appearing to be approximately five to six years old sitting alone on the floor of a loft. I observed the child crying and was sitting close to a railing with an approximate 15 foot drop from the loft. Due to the distressed condition of the child and the risk of falling, force entry was made to secure the child. The caretakers and guardians did not show up until later in the evening between 830 and 945 p.m., and were the adoptive parents of the children in the home. Whitefeather allegedly confirmed to the deputies that the children were left in the shed and said that, quote unquote, they like it. They were arrested on felony charges of gross child neglect, creating a substantial risk of injury. Bonds have been set for $200,000 cash. A preliminary hearing date has been set for the pair for October 12th. Yeah, you know, it's odd. The last 20 years or so, there's been this whole rash of crimes involving false imprisonment coming into the news, uh, whether it's fathers doing it to daughters or uh, random kidnappers or what. I keep hearing about kids being locked inside of things and being tortured, though these these kids kind of got off light compared to like, you know, jo Joseph Fritzl's daughter, uh, who we're, we're going to discuss a little bit later because I found an article about him that came out this year. But yeah, I've noticed that suddenly that was a that was a big thing. Uh, yeah, Fritzel and then Ariel Castro. There's a lot of others of these cases where, of people locking kids inside of things. Well, uh, there there was an Evil Lives Here episode a couple seasons ago, and it took place here in Ohio. And this boy and I think it was a brother or like a stepbrother were locked in a closet, like a bedroom closet in the dark. For the majority of like several years. Oh man. And one of the boys was the interviewee and just hearing about the trauma and everything from living in this dark closet. It was it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. I couldn't imagine. I don't I mean, yes, the shed has more space, but it's not even double the size of one of our prison cells. And well, there's yeah. no windows or anything like they literally just had nothing like what? Why? There's what room. What could they like about being there? You know, oh, it's, yeah, just, that was, it's disgusting. That was just done to be malicious, like uh, the story of Lauren Cavanaugh, which I did very early on in the show. I think it was like the third episode or something. But, yeah, she was in there uh, for like six years and uh, they only took her out to like rape her or traffic her and rarely fed her and beat her up and yeah she's just she's tried like committing suicide numerous times she's jumped out of vehicles to do it and so yeah it's uh 
I don't know, but yeah, as I said, just this just keeps coming up because uh, I don't know. Ultimately, it seems like there must there's got to be like a dark side to parenting where some people just get so angry with their children that maybe they start having dark fantasies. Most people don't act on them, but obviously a few of them do. Like um, Stephen King was saying, the inspiration for The Shining was that. He came home one day and saw his son had taken like a black crayon and marked up this manuscript. It was like the only copy of the manuscript because he wrote on typewriters back then. And he suddenly understood why some animals eat their young because they will test your patience. Do they not? He was also on drugs and alcohol a lot during that time. That's ugh. He wrote one of his books with like uh, Kleenex in his nostrils because he did so much coke. He was having nosebleeds. Yeah, so maybe that had something to do with it, too, the taste of success. How much you want to bet it was maximum overdrive? It might have been. It was, uh, well, there is a book. He said he doesn't remember writing Cujo at all because mm-hmm. he was just high. Like It's like David Bowie said, he, he had no memory of the year 1975 because he was just doing cocaine the whole year. So it doesn't do much for your memory, that's for sure. It's putting it lightly. All right, what you got? All right, my next one is uh, headlines, man caught at traffic stop with plans to shoot Parkland, other sites for attention and fame. You stole my stories. Oh, damn. It's okay. You tell uh, it. Police found Henry Horton's manifesto in his vehicle after pulling him over for a broken headlight. A uh, Florida man was allegedly planned, he allegedly planned mass shootings and stabbing sprees at, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Okeechobee High School. <laughs> Okeechobee. Okeechobee? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and a church in Florida, but was foiled after a routine traffic stop, authorities had said uh, Palm Beach County authorities charged Henry Horton, 19 years old, with making written threats to kill after a Jupiter police officer, Jupiter, Florida, I presume, Mm -hmm. Jupiter police officer conducting a traffic stop on the evening of September 18th, allegedly found handwritten notes from the suspect detailing his morbid plans. After initially putting Horton, uh, sorry, pulling Horton over, for a broken headlight, the officer asked for his consent to search his vehicle and discovered multiple handwritten pages stating a plan to purchase firearms and kill everyone at OHS with my guns, which was later discovered to stand for Okeechobee High School. <clears throat> Excuse me, an arrest affidavit filed earlier this month states. The officer then spoke with Horton, who told him that he was planning on killing an administrator at Okeechobee High School, where he graduated last year, according to the affidavit. It's funny, you, you know, usually your resentment of your teachers in high school goes away by that point. But this guy's not one of the most forgiving people in the world. So he was Horton was planning on executing the plan on his 22nd birthday, January 2nd, 2026, at approximately 11.30 in the morning. Once he had killed the administrator, <coughs> excuse me, Horton wished to murder another 14 people, accounting to a total of 15 victims. After this plan was executed, he wanted to drive down to Miami, Florida, to a church named El Rey Jesus, and go on a stabbing spree and murder another 10 subjects, the affidavit states. The officer also located a bong and three fillet-style knives in Horton's vehicle during the traffic stop. Horton advised he has been having multiple thoughts about mass homicide and wanted to execute them once he turned 22 years old. He, Horton also stated he had had mental health issues in the past, Horton said when he lived in Virginia, he voluntarily admitted himself into a medical facility for a mental health evaluation due to having similar thoughts. An officer allegedly asked Horton, a Domino's employee in Okeechobee County, 
where he was heading before police pulled him over. The suspect replied that he was heading to El Rey Jesus Church in Miami to recon or survey the area where he allegedly planned to carry out a mass stabbing spree and murder 10 people after completing his shooting at Okeechobee High School, according to the affidavit. You know, I've often had this feeling uh, lately, well, actually quite a long time now, that maybe they shouldn't publicize the names of the mass shooters because just like how they won't do that with people who commit suicide because they don't want to encourage anyone, maybe they shouldn't publicize the mass shooters because it, it seems to me like it's not just this guy who wants the attention and the fame. I think a lot of them wanted that. Well, the article I read regarding this exact story even admitted that he specifically said he wanted to commit these acts to be famous. Yeah. He wanted to be remembered. And yeah, he also like, wanted to kill his stepmother, too. So. Well, yeah, it's like, yeah, like Dylan Roof or the guys who, who committed the murders at the Boston Marathon. Mm-hmm. Like Rolling Stone put one of them on the cover. Like that was the worst thing they could have done. Because every, all the rest of them are just going to think, well, yeah, I'm going to get famous. and They're going to remember me. Well, and what's weird, too, is the article I read was talking about how if he were to be released on bond or anything or ever get out, he would have an ankle monitor. Like, that's going to deter any yeah. future plan, you know? And it's just like, are we sure that's what we really want to do? Like... Yeah, and it makes me wonder, how do you sentence him? I mean, he didn't he didn't carry it out, but he had the intention. I mean, there's evidence of that. Yeah, I read that they had looked up, like, he was looking up, you know, how to obtain an AK-47. And, like, his search history was pretty damning evidence as well. And I, I don't know. But, I mean, I heard, too, that even in Florida, he had gone to, because Florida is one of the states, I know California has it, where... You know, Virginia, you can openly admit yourself. You have to be the one to, you know, admit yourself to those types of things. But in some states, it's an involuntary hold and they will keep you for so long. I know someone who went through it because they were having like a psychotic break and it was related to drugs and stuff like that. So they needed help. And they were in California and they got put they have a specific name for it. I can't remember what it is at the moment. But Florida, they did something similar. But Again, I mean, he was already held in Virginia and we don't know the outcome of what kind of treatment he had, if he had anything. Yeah. And now he's crossed state lines and he's, you know, oh, yeah, taking that... it to the extent that he has everything planned out. And it, well, yeah. the fact that he didn't carry it out would probably increase his likelihood of getting an, an insanity plea because, um you know, they just know he just had some bad ideas. It was a possibly a psychotic break. It sounds like he's uh, he's not in his right mind. But on the other hand, what would work against him is that obviously he was very meticulous, had devised a very detailed plan. Um, so it's not it's not like he was going to be running amok with a gun in his hand. I mean, this, he was he was thorough. So, yeah, it's it's a, I guess that's quite a difficult thing legally to piece together, you know. I, don't know. I mean, you, yeah, you I mean, you study criminology. So how much does intent, how much weight does that carry? Someone can prove you intended to do something. I mean, it's all circumstantial and it's going to come up to, you know, if there's a jury, it's going to be on their shoulders to determine is the intent enough? Is it worth sentencing him for so many years in prison for? And then we got to think about the repercussions of everything around it. What if they decide against it and they say, no, it's not enough. And then years down the road, he fulfills this, you know, plan of his. Then what? Yeah. Yeah. It's like these uh, pedophile hunter guys where they ambush these men that they met off the Internet posing as young girls. And then. Their hope is like, well, we can bust them for intent, but that's the, that's the only thing you can bust them for, because if they didn't end up having sex with an underage female, then you can't charge them with that. And actually, the authorities are now saying 
these these videos, what these guys are doing, it actually undermines their own investigations. Yeah, I think the most they can get usually is solicitation charges for a minor. Um, yeah. Unless, you know, obviously more happens, but still, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's hard because you don't want it to get to the point where the crime has already happened. People have been hurt. But we also have too many instances of people being falsely imprisoned as well. So it's yeah. it's this delicate dance and balance with the criminal justice system, which is not perfect. Yeah. And, you know. There's rules in place, and sometimes it works, and unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't. So it's hard to say what happens next. Yeah, and also, I mean, a, a criminal defense lawyer could very easily get one of those guys acquitted because these aren't cops who are doing this. They're just guys from the Internet, and uh, they could probably – yeah, the, the lawyer could exploit the fact that these guys – were being entrapped and that uh, their Miranda rights were not observed. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah, the FBI does not want people doing that. Yeah. Word to the wise. All right. So. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule, history so interesting, it's criminal. Speaking of pedophiles, we're going to move into my next story. All right. A TikTok famous small town police chief traded incest videos via a secret Twitter slash X account discovered during a search of his home office. Joel Justice Womachill, 38 years old, went by at ICT Bad Dad on the social media platform now known as X with a profile picture of Pedo Bear, which is described as like a pedophilic cartoon utilized by individuals in the pedophile community. I know it well, yeah. Yes, most of us who are on the internet in 2010 do. Um, (laughs) Hello, kids, with a smiley face, read the banner across the top of the now-defunct account's profile page. He described himself online as a 38 white male looking for that special girl that was raised right and wants to continue the tradition. If you love the little things in life, message on the wire, same name. His TikTok videos, as life of a police officer, regularly racked up tens of thousands of views, with some getting more than 600,000. The investigation into the alleged crimes began with a tip. Right around the same time he tendered his resignation last August, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children received a cyber tip line report providing cloud storage for Verizon wireless customers through Cinecross Technologies saying that a certain account had backed up a dozen video and image files of hardcore child abuse. The officials for NCMEC notified law enforcement, and then next thing you know, Homeland Security got involved, as well as Department of Homeland Security, and were both assigned to the case. They were able to trace the account to the phone belonging to Womachill. It was his only device. And an analysis of files turned up an array of abuse material with a pair of particularly sadistic videos involving young children. On August 15th, HSI interviewed Womachill 
at his work while at his home, other agents spoke with his fiance, who directed him to his home office where a search with a search warrant, they seized a laptop, external hard drive, and other electronics. During the examination of his cell phone, they located his ex account, utilizing the username and describing the avatar and other suspicious signs. Some 15 dick pics had been publicly posted to the Internet, and agents determined the photos had been taken inside of his home. Within days, they had the warrant for the contents of his account. And once they searched his DMs, they found a February 14th, 2023 conversation with another ex-user who sent him a quote-unquote real incest video, after which he inquired about subscription rates to the user's premium incest telegram channel. His laptop contained at least 851 thumbnail images linked to videos and images stored on the hard drive that agents took from his residence. Numerous images of child exploitation material were located. Yeah, that's a $20 billion industry. I think it's, it's huge. <clears throat> 600,000 views. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can you imagine being like the cops who have to go through all the images and videos? Because the thing is, it reminds me of this thing I heard about police sciences where uh, this, there's this exercise where like you're, you're given a pencil and you have to describe everything about the pencil. And it seems obvious, but there are so many things you could miss, like everything from the length of it to like how many grains of wood or, that are exposed near the lead and all this kind of stuff. And so if you're going to go through somebody's child porn stash, if there's like 10,000 images, that means every single image you have to look at it carefully and describe every detail same thing with all the videos and can you imagine how you would how you'd feel at the end of that no that is why having healthy coping skills and handling our trauma is extremely vital to our overall mental and physical health and well-being oh yeah i mean being a cop can definitely take a toll on your mental health no doubt and it's it's a wonder it's a wonder that they all don't end up just being really bitter and misanthropic. I mean, there definitely comes a point, especially when I was learning about criminal justice and all that, where they talk about how, you know, most of the police officers who go into the force are doing it with good intentions. They want to be the white knight. But then once they get into it and they have experience with it and they see the things and encounter the situations that they do, that goes away and they do become hardened and it does change them and it's 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 a lot well yeah it's like not only are you encountering quite often evil people but there's also like people who kind of cover up for them or like like some woman whose husband is beating her and she won't cooperate with the cops and and then you maybe that's something that leads to them feeling less sympathy less empathy you know and the you know the children are witnessing domestic violence and she won't do anything about it so there's that too so yeah it's hard to stay optimistic after that all right so i mentioned josef fritzel earlier and there was an article that was published this year the date was the 27th of march uh the headline is evil josef fritzel writing new book saying he's a good guy who gets fan letters. I am curious about reading that book, actually. Uh, Incest monster Josef Fritzl has said in a shocking new book that he is a good guy who receives hundreds of love letters from avid fans. The Austrian monster who locked his daughter Elizabeth in a cellar where he abused her and as a sex slave for 24 years and fathered seven children, also says in the book that he has a number of illegitimate children abroad. The book, written by Fritzl with the help of lawyer Astrid Wagner, is titled Die Abrund de Josephet, translated as The Abysses of Joseph of Joseph Fritzl. Passages reported in Austrian and German media quote the man as saying, in reality, I'm a good person, with him describing himself as a responsible family man. Fritzl, who is currently serving a life sentence, 
reveals in his book that he does not understand why his wife Rosemary broke off contact with him. The 87-year-old former electrical engineer also claims in the book to have had dozens of sexual affairs during business trips, adding that he has children with several Indian women. The, he also claims in the book that he has an African son who today is a respected lawyer. Speaking about his arrest in 2008, he said, I was completely alone with my thoughts. There was no one I could confide in. The book also details the Austrian incest monster's daily life in the, in the, um, the Stein prison in Kearns. And, and uh, this is German, Ender Danau, with him saying that he sees himself as a cut above the other prisoners. He reportedly avoids walking in the prison yard because there are a few prisoners just waiting to be able to beat me up. Fritzl reportedly is friendly with a prostitute murderer who he describes as a helpful, nice guy because he cooks for him on a regular basis. But, be, but he added, but I can't eat too much because I don't want to get fat. He also claims that he receives hundreds of letters, mainly from women who are in love with me. Fritzl also says in the book that he wants to spend the last few years of his life in freedom, of course, saying that he would like to move back to Amstetten and perhaps set up a small business there. He has recently submitted an application to be transferred to a normal prison. Austrian courts have rejected previous attempts by the jailbird to be moved to a lower security prison. Fritzl, who changed his name to Mayerhoft six years ago, reportedly has dementia. Well, that sounds about right, considering how delusional he comes across as he, he doesn't seems to think he doesn't seem to think he's done anything wrong at all no he is a nice guy that really? has lots of female suitors well you know that's probably true because actually 24 hours after he was taken into custody jeffrey dahmer got his first love letter from a woman and he was gay um they all all serial killers get love letters from women uh I don't Ted Bundy conceived a child in prison. Um, the uh, the night stalker, Richard Ramirez, he married. He got married in prison. So that happens quite a lot. Paul Bernardo got love letters. Boy, talk no. about the whole bad boy thing. No, it's taking it too far. <laughs> no, you don't think, it, you think that you think it's something else entirely. I mean, yeah. <laughs> do I want to say it out loud? No. Well, do you have any theories about why these women are attracted to murderers? I'm sure it has something to do with their charisma. Yeah, maybe. A lot of them hid in plain sight and knew how to charm people. Which is why it always came as a shock that it was them that did it and not someone else. Yeah. Uh, but I can't speak for the whole p female population either. I I have no idea. I don't even want... I couldn't imagine getting into that headspace in the first place to where I'd be like, you know what? I could have easily been a victim, but that's really hot. Like, you know, <laughs> like... Well, maybe there's this there's just this ooky yeah. factor and it goes deep. I can't like I just don't get it. Maybe it's a holdover from evolution, like back when we were cavemen and there were no police to protect us, that every man had to be ready to kill if necessary. So maybe that I mean, because there are still traits that we have from those days and some people have carried them with them. And it could be the same you know, genetic line that leads some guys to commit murder, you know. We haven't bred that out of the human race. Uh, we could speculate all day on that, but I don't know that we'd get any closer to the truth. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. That's that's a can of worms I don't want to see the bottom of. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, you know, it's like how in high school, the bullies got most of the girls, right? The guys they picked on didn't do as well with the girls, so. Right. 
a lot of women are attracted to violent men. I I read about uh, this guy who was uh, he, he was either in a street gang or with the mafia, and he said there were women throwing themselves at him all the time. So I guess it's a particular type of woman, you know, not what they call sapiosexual now type of women. <laughs> Definitely not that type. <laughs> All right. We're coming full circle with my stories. We're going back to uh, people imprisonment. All right. All right. So Wiley, Texas, a Collin County woman will spend the next 75 years behind bars for the sadistic torture of another young woman who lived in her home. 27-year-old Simone Valdez Junkin, who still has burn scars across her arms, testified against her abuser, 37-year-old Alicia Calderon, in 2019, Valdez Junkin thought she was moving into Calderon's trailer in Wiley to clean and care for Calderon's children and a disabled elderly woman who also resided there in exchange for free rent. Valdez Junkin's parents say that communication then drifted. We thought she was just living her life, her mother said. For more than two years, Calderon was controlling Valdez Junkin with unthinkable tortures. She severely burned her arms, chest, and back by pouring a pot of boiling water on her. She deprived her of food, locked her in a dog crate, and cut off her communication to the outside world. It's heinous. You don't think that this kind of stuff can happen, her mother said through tears. On February 1st of 2022, Valdez Junkin got a hold of a phone and sent her stepfather a message saying she was locked in a room and needed help. It was the first time in two years that she had spoken with one of her parents. Her stepfather went to the trailer with deputies who had to remove stacked stones away from the front door in order to free her. She was down to 68 pounds, her head was shaved, and she had second and third degree burns. I initially did not recognize her, her stepfather said. All she wanted to do was just get away. It took me about a week and a half before I could really register that that was my daughter. Valdez Junkin's mother said she was just skin, literally skin hanging off of her bones. She spent weeks in the hospital recovering from her injuries and needed multiple surgeries because of the burns. During sentencing, prosecutors revealed she stole or the woman called her and stole nearly $80,000 from the disabled elderly woman that was in her care. The money was going towards tattoos, tire rims and party <laughs> rentals. Prosecutors say her husband, Joseph Calderon, was also involved. He's charged with elderly exploitation and abuse. He's currently out on bond awaiting trial. I think they're just, I mean, they're just terrible people, their neighbor said. Um, Hernandez, the neighbor, said he saw Valdez Junkin on occasion, but did not know the abuse she was suffering. Yeah, she would always be dirty. They wouldn't shower her or nothing. Like, she would always just be dirty, he said. I wasn't there for her, and I hate that, Valdez's mother said. The parents never suspected the torture. Collins County jurors convicted Calderon of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, causing serious bodily injury to the household member. Now, as Calderon begins a 75-year sentence in prison, Valdez Junkin's parents say that their daughter's determined to make the most of her life. During the punishment phase of the trial, prosecutors also presented evidence that Calderon spent $78,000 of the elderly woman's inheritance and had been cashing her Social Security checks for several years. They said when deputies found the elderly woman in the home, she was in such a bad condition that they initially thought she was dead. God, I once spilled boiling hot water on my foot and the uppermost layer of the skin just melted right off. Like so I can only imagine the pain she went through. I accidentally gave myself second degree burns by spilling hot tea on my hand, like like on my knuckles. Oh, wow. And that was some of the most excruciating pain I can think of. I mean, I remember driving to the urgent care and I was on the phone because I was convinced I was going to pass out. And I was like, if you hear my car crash, just call the cops. Like, yeah. it was yeah. bad. I could not imagine. No, I would never wish that kind of stuff on anybody. That's just disgusting. So what, you were driving and holding the tea and somehow? No, I made the tea at home. Oh, you made And it, it was, the, the pitcher was like a steeper that you could sit on top of the mug and it would drain down into it. Well, I didn't put it on the plate properly. 
So I activated it and it leaked out all over my hands. I threw the oh. whole pot. And next thing I know is immediately started blistering and the pain just got so intense that I was like, I, I messed up. So I knew I had to go get help. And I actually ended up getting a tetanus shot and having like special antibiotic cream and getting like my whole hand bandaged as a result. Yeah, it was not fun. No, I wouldn't imagine. Well, yeah, I had to go to the hospital when I dropped it on my foot. God, that would it, be horrible, too. And then there's that period where you're just waiting for the water to cool off, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it doesn't it doesn't just stop being hot just because it made contact with your skin. So do you still drink tea? Do you make Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I make it out of a Keurig now. I don't have to touch oh. it. I leave it and walk away. Oh, I didn't know they I didn't know they had Keurig for a tea. I thought it was just a coffee. I just use it for the hot water. It's fine. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I drink chai. Do you drink just orange pico? or do you... Um, I don't do chai because doesn't chai have cinnamon in it? I think so, yeah. I'm allergic to cinnamon, so I can't Ooh. have that. Yeah, it sucks. Um, It's an interesting allergy to have. I've never I heard. I have a lot of interesting allergies. <laughs> it's fine. <Yeah. laughs> um, I usually drink, I'll drink green tea, um, chamomile. I have, I mean, I get like the blends with like fruits and other things. So it's just depending on what mood I'm in. Lately, it's been lemon and echinacea because that one has been helping with like my allergies and stuff like that. And when I wake up, like, especially if I go to concerts and I'm like screaming a lot, um, it helps like clear my throat and kind of just like reset my vocal cords. It just kind of like flushes everything out. It's nice. It's good. So I should try that for when I record because sometimes it takes me a while to really clear my throat out. Right. It's fun. And did you, you know, they say that green tea has all these benefits. Do you, did you feel any different? Did it do a lot for you or? It tasted great. Yeah. Whether or not it actually did what it was supposed to do. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. (laughs) I never thought about it. It's one of those things you do where people say, oh, you, you, if you eat this or drink that, it's going to be so good for you. And then you do it and you don't feel any different. And you're just like, that just went down the pit and it's in the ether now. And I'm not, I didn't suddenly jump up from the couch and go running around the room or anything. Yeah, it's not like that. I mean, green tea, I've always liked green tea. Mm-hmm. It's just something better to drink than pop. But I mean... I don't, I, I drink it more for comfort, not so much the health benefits. Like I understand there's health benefits, but that's yeah. not top priority. Top priority is I want tea. Is that an herbal tea? I think so. I'm not sure. Hmm. I know what I like. That's all I, that's all I can comment on. Um, so what, lemon what again? Lemon and echinacea. Lemon and echinacea. I got to remember I that. get the Bigelow brand. I Bigelow. can text it to you. All right, cool. No matter how far you run from them, childhood tragedies have a way of catching back up with you. So is true of elite scuba diver Veronica West, who is about to encounter something unexplainable at the bottom of the ocean, something that will draw her back to her home on Sinclair Island, Maine. There, she'll lead a dangerous rescue mission to the bottom of the Bay of Fundy, home of the world's largest tides, and something horrific down in the depths. Listen to Narcosis, the latest horror fiction show on Realm's premier horror channel, Undertow. Narcosis is available now. Search for Undertow, or Narcosis, wherever podcasts are served. Sometime in the early 80s, REO Speedwagon's airplane made an unannounced middle-of-the-night landing. This is my friend Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks. And he's telling me about how he discovered a real-life Twin Peaks in rural North Carolina, not far from where he filmed Blue Velvet. What was on the plane was copious amounts of drugs coming in from South America. Supposedly, Pablo Escobar went looking for other spots, quiet, out-of-the-way places to bring in his cocaine. My name is Joshua Davis, and I'm an investigative reporter. Kyle and I talk all the time about the strange things we come across, but nothing was quite as strange as what we found in Varnumtown, North Carolina. There's crooked cops, brother against brother. Everyone's got a story to tell, but does the truth even exist? Welcome to Varnum Town. Varnum Town is available wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Hi, listeners. I'm Vanessa Richardson, host of the podcast Serial Killers. Like many of you, I'm fascinated by the darker side of humanity. What causes someone to develop such deadly desires and why they decide to act on them? For the past six years, I've been able to explore these curiosities weekly, tapping into the mental states of the world's most notorious killers, examining their backgrounds and habits, searching for answers. If you haven't had a chance to check out our show, there's truly no better time to dive in. With hundreds of episodes to binge and new ones released weekly, Serial Killers is the perfect podcast for any avid true crime fan. Follow Serial Killers on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, so uh, my next story is uh, another one. This involves pedophilia, too. Only um, in a region of the world where there's actually, unfortunately, a lot of tolerance for pedophilia. Um, The headline is, Eight-Year-Old Child Bride Dies from Internal Bleeding After Her Wedding Night. So just, I mean, every line of that headline is just a lose-lose scenario. Um, So yeah, an eight-year-old Yemeni girl passed away from internal bleeding on her wedding night in the wake of a wedding to a man five times her age. A social activist and two nearby occupants said, for a situation that has caused an outcry in the media and recitation, and resuscitated banter about child brides. So Arwa Offman, head of Yemen House of Folklore and the main rights campaigner, said the young lady recognized as Rawan was hitched to a 40-year-old man before the end of last week in the town of Midi in uh, Haja territory in northwestern Yemen. Um, On the wedding night and after the intercourse, she suffered from bleeding and uterine rupture, which caused her death, Othman told Reuters. They took her to a clinic, but the medics couldn't save her life. Othman said authorities had not made any move against the young girl's family or her husband. A local security official in the common town of Harada denied any such episode had occurred. He would have rather not been identified because he was not approved to address the press. Yet two uh, Medi inhabitants reached by Reuters affirmed the episode and said that nearby clan leaders had attempted to conceal the occurrence when the news initially broke, cautioning a neighborhood columnist against covering the story. Numerous poor families in Yemen offer young girls to save money on the expenses of raising a kid and bring in additional cash from the dowry given to the young lady. A UN report released in January revealed the extent of the country's poverty, saying that 10.5 million of Yemen's 24 million people lacked sufficient food supplies and 13 million had no access to safe water and basic sanitation. Human Rights Watch urged Yemen's government in December 2011 to ban marriages of girls under the age of 18. Excuse me warning it deprived child brides of education and harmed their health. Quoting United Nations and government data, HRW said nearly 14% of Yemen girls were married before the age of 15 and 52% before the age of 18. The group says many Yemeni child brides-to-be are kept from school when they reach puberty. Discussions on the issue were shelved by political turmoil following protests against President Ali Abdallah Saleh in 2011 that led to his ouster. So a lot of people in that part of the world kind of look down upon us because we allow people to partake of pornography and drink alcohol. But I don't know, I I think considering that this practice of marrying off children goes on there, I don't think they have a, a leg to stand on morally compared to us. I don't even know what to say that. It just <laughs> makes me instantly irate. Yeah. Like it goes on there, it goes on in Pakistan, in India. Um, Africa, I think, is another place where there's a lot of child marriages. 
Um, yeah, it's like it seems here like how could this possibly go on? Because that's like the number one taboo in North America. But over there it isn't. Um, there's a big problem because of civil war where a lot of a lot of fathers die and a lot of their kids mm-hmm. end up being taken in by these men. And uh, in exchange for keeping them and protecting them and, and feeding them, they also make them they clean for them and cook for them. And they also uh, make them perform sexual favors. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of pedophilia in that part of the world and they don't do anything about it, especially if it goes on in the home, because there is no legal prohibitions for any kind of domestic violence or domestic abuse. The police view it as a personal matter and they won't prosecute, whether it's women or children. Yeah. No. No, no. Because, yeah, I'm actually I'm developing part three of the Satanic Panic episodes. And uh, it went in actually mentioned how little girls who have been raped, sometimes they die from it Mm -hmm. because they actually do damage to their organs. So what this girl went through is actually pretty typical of what happens if they get married to men at that young age. There's there's biological reasons. You know, I just what oh, yeah. what do you what do you gain by marrying an eight year old? Well, I know they have they are so so they place such a high premium on virginity over there. Like but they really, wouldn't you think it would mean that much more to have someone of consenting age who was well, still a virgin? They don't care. Well, they're but they're behind us, like socially speaking, like by like two centuries. So, I mean, like there was an English king who married like a six year old. But I mean, we got over that. We we fucking evolved past it. But in that part of the world, they're still held behind. Women, there are property and children are, too, and especially females. Uh, right. Did you have one last story? No, my last story was the uh, the one you talked about with the shooting. Oh, yeah. OK. So. All right. Well, we could leave it there. We're just at about 50 minutes. So if they get, we'll have to check with each other again next week to make sure we don't have any overlap. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, you have yourself a good evening then. And thank All you. Right. Everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the True Crime News. Thank you. Bye for now.